0: So go to Amazon on March 8th, and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist, It's Never Too Late, and you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of The Eternal Optimist podcast. My guest today, author of two best-selling books, which we're gonna get into today. And I love getting into it with people who are in a career position that I aspire to be in at some point. And I think that our guest today, Mr. Chris Kluber, he has got so many accolades and so many things that he's done, and he's a humble man, I can tell already, so he may not toot his own horn, but multiple eight-figure exits. He's 10X the number of businesses. He advises and leads, in his career, thousands of teams and people. And he was incredibly humble and patient with me as I was late for our recording today. So just mad respect and welcome to our guest today, Mr. Chris Kluber. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend?
1: Brother, I'm doing great. And Matt, thank you very much. I'm humbled to be here. And please don't even think twice about the tardiness. Happens to all of us.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. I wonder, because I was looking at your bio sheet, it talks a little bit about you spend time between Omaha and Colorado, I believe. And I used to live in Omaha. That is where I grew up in first grade. I was out there in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we went to the College World Series for a couple of years. So I have got some good memories out there in that section of the country. Are you from that area originally, or how did you end up where you are now?
1: I'm born and raised in Omaha.
0: I like to say that I think,
1: and then I live about 100 miles west of Denver, outside of a little town called Leadville at 10,000 feet. I like to say that either one of them, if you don't have to live there, is Shangri-La. But if you only had to live in one place, one of these two places, you feel like you're in witness protection. I love Omaha because the people are amazing. You can hold the door for a young lady or an older lady at the grocery store, and you'll get a smile and a thank you, not a curvy, grumpy backtrack. Or... You know, you can get anywhere in town, it's quick, it's easy, it's very much a slice of Americana, and Mm -hmm. I really love that. And then where I live in the mountains, some of the most intense mountain biking, skiing, backcountry hiking in the world, I'm looking out my window at a 14,000, the tallest 14,000 foot peak in Colorado right here. I like to say I feel like I'm the luckiest cat on the planet.
0: Heck yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You are really easy to be with. Your energy is just so cool. I feel lighter being around you already, Chris. I'm curious, have you always been like this, or did this take years to master, (laughs) to be this relaxed and just cool around people? No, I'm faking it. No.
1: (laughs) For a long time, I took myself way, way too serious. And I worried about things. And I let too many first world problems get in the way since had the good fortune to and to clarify i didn't do those exits i was the strategic advisor and coach and facilitator for those groups that had those big exits i've had a few exits myself but i haven't had any big eight nine figure exits but i have helped companies scale to the, to that growth i think part of it is i'm getting older in a lot of ways i still have the mind and i think of things like a 20 year old and i think i'm a 20 year old and i yeah. still do crazy exercise and running around and all that but i am a lot more patient Especially with myself. And it's one of the things, oddly, when I'm working with leadership teams or if I'm coaching a CEO, is helping them to have more patience and understanding that when you can look at the world with the different eyes and you can slow down a little bit, you can actually become much, much more effective.
0: Can you take us back to a time when you were not as patient with yourself and you may be a little more frantic or fast or just however you might characterize it? Take us back to a time when you can be aware of when you were like that. And then the transformation to this really positive, cool, collected, relaxed energy that we feel today. When did you become aware of this and start to make that shift, Chris?
1: I I love the question that you tee up in advance to think about. When was a a major shift or a major challenge in your life? And I wrestled with two. One happened to be around infertility with my wife and I. Those were some very emotional things because Candidly, I'm not used to failing. And that was an area that it didn't work out. And I realized that there was maybe the universe had a different intention for me. But specifically to answer your question, about eight years ago, I went through and had to have a hip and a knee replaced. And it was 100% the sins of my youth, 100% fully culpable for everything. It was self inflicted stuff. I started my first of 16 companies when I was 19. I'm used to running around at a million miles an hour with my hair on fire. And when you have those types of surgeries, A, you have a forced convalescence. You don't get to move. And B, at least for a while. And B, I am not a fan of narcotics, but you're going to take my, had me on oxygen. I just, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even read. So I had this forced downtime. It was actually where I had an epiphany. It was crazy. It was on my couch. And I'm sitting there and I'm not a big TV person and I start watching daytime TV and I discovered what a Cardassian was (laughs) and this just scared the pants off me because it's train wreck TV. It's interesting in its way and I'm watching it and I get sucked in a little bit. But then Matt, I realized that I was measuring success in the same ways and the same benchmark that the Cardassians were. As far as money, fame, power, relationships. And I got to tell you, I felt really dirty. I felt icky because that isn't how I wanted to aspire. I switched over and watched some other channel. And here's these people in the backwoods of Alaska. And I like that sort of thing. It's fully accountable. It's self-reliant. They're figuring shit out on their own. And these guys, some of them are making less than 10,000 a year living in the most extreme, harsh conditions. And yet they can't go through an episode on the TV without saying how fortunate they are how filled with gratitude they were. It really made me realize, and I started going down the the rabbit hole and I realized that I had lost control of the narrative of what success was. I Um, had given that away to the TV commercials, to the highlight reel that is social media, to the scarcity mindsets, well-intentioned scarcity mindset though, of parents or peers. And, And it was based on that I really went down the rabbit hole and started to look at success in a very different way. And, and that was probably the most, one of the most monumental shifts. Just imagine that baked on Oxy watching the Kardashians was a monumental shift, but, but it was.
0: Yeah, I relate to this. I relate to this intensely because of the surgery I had six years ago and 27 years ago now, 2016. And they gave me the Oxy prescription for the spinal surgery. And then I remember the very first day taking it. It's just so serendipitous you shared this because I couldn't function. I like to think that this is very active up here in the brain and, and I just, I couldn't think fast or straight and it was relaxing and euphoric and not something that I wanted to be, I suppose. So I relate to what you're sharing and so you came out of this lost control of success narrative and you realized that you were in a scarcity mindset. What happened next after you started to explore the way you were thinking and the way you were feeling and, and coming out of the surgery from there?
1: I've dipped in and out of it my whole life. I have a brand that I built that everybody hated that I didn't, but it it's called the Hippie Capitalist because I sold the business in 98 and I took a year and traveled around the world and hit all seven continents just with a little carry-on backpack. And sometimes I can be the happiest guy in the world showing up in a third world backwater, not having any clue where I'm gonna spend the night but living that vagabond lifestyle. But I'm also exceptionally good at helping senior leaders become great at finance and building unbelievable opportunities and helping them shift their thinking on what is possible. From a financial perspective, I used to always think, and I was always at odds with the idea that I'm either a hippie or the capitalist. And it took me a long time to realize that the universe built me exactly how it intended, but it was my obligation to figure out where I fit. And the way I look at things, I'm pretty dyslexic. So I look at things different than a lot of people. And I have some, and they're beautiful gifts. But in essence, it helped me reaffirm that's the important thing, that I can have it all. And Matt, every one of us, every one of us can have it all. The biggest challenge, and I see this over and over, and I've worked with billionaires, is figuring out what you want. We live in such an abundant time. That for people to figure out what they want, because they innately they default back to money, stuff, things, and that's hollow. Don't get me wrong; I love my BMWs, I love my multiple homes, I. But it's not the only way to measure that success.
0: Yeah, as you are becoming more aware of the things that are going on around you, and maybe you fell into a scarcity rut from time to time. What are some of the ways that you have learned to measure success that give you peace now?
1: There's a tool it created, but it's in essence, it's a balance wheel. And it's a way of looking at success in a different way. And how is it we can redefine those parameters? And this is something that my wife and I do on a regular basis. And we actually, we do it to where we talk about it. We discuss it. We become each other's champions, not saboteurs. And we set goals around those, but more on a holistic level. As an example, we take two months off a year for adventure travel because that's our jam. That's what we like. We look at things that what are ways that we can be growing? How can we be developing and trying to improve who we are and and get stronger? As a specific example, a couple of years ago, we did our balance wheel and we realized that my wife raised Muslim, me raised Catholic. Neither one of us are very practicing, but we felt we weren't strong with our our spiritual life. We decided to put intentionality behind that. We set a goal around that to explore four different types of things. We did different types of things. and, And as a result, we ended up spending a month in Nepal. And we spent a week in the monastery of exiled Tibetans. And it was really cool. It was very helpful in our growth. I didn't shave my head and start wearing robes, but I learned a lot. It helped me move that forward because one of my values is always curious, always learning. How can I always be sharpening the saw? And how can I transition from that reactive state that most of us live in mm-hmm. to that proactive state?
0: Man, so many questions. A week in a monastery, what, how did that sharpen you in any way? What was that like? in a monastery, that sounds awesome. So I
1: originally did it in 98 when I did my trip around the world and it was just amazing experience. And as far as redefining success, here are people like Nepal is the same size as the state of Colorado, but with 20 million people. And a third of those people live on less than $3 a day. And most of those people are a lot happier. And the only thing that's different is the way they're choosing to look at life. When you have a bunch of Tibetans who've had the absolute short end of the stick, And seeing how they're approaching it and then meeting others who are trying and or they're once they try, hate trying, who are striving to get better and they're being curious about how things are and they're open. I think we've lost candidly, I think in our society, we've lost the ability to be curious. We've lost the ability to for civil discord that says, I don't agree with you at all. Help me understand why. What is your perspective? Why are you looking at it? So I'm you
0: know, rambling, but that's, no, that's I it. That's the juice right there. I totally hear what you're saying. Why is it people have a hard time just I don't agree with you? And help me understand your perspective more. This is probably the conversation I get into most often when I'm just randomly talking with people, is not intentionally trying to sow seeds of discord, just if I hear something that's different, I want to understand more. All right. And you made it a mission to go and enjoy and you know travel and adventure and explore. You, your wife's relationship even. And there have been so many instances already in our conversation where you are showing, have it all, right? simply by being open and curious. And I love you for that. I feel like I'm listening to the sage guru wise man speak. And I'm just, I'm enthralled by this. I, I just keep tr- offering us the liquid We will drink, my friend. <laughs> this is awesome. Take us forward from Tibet. You and your wife, you were asking how you could be growing. What's another example? of redefining your success parameter. Just like you have the eternal
1: optimist, I believe wholeheartedly that extraordinary lives in the unreasonable and to f and be unreasonable. There's a great quote from Henry Ford that says, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. And for me, that's where I constantly want to shatter the parameters of what you can and can't do. So hip and knee replacement. At one point, I used to weigh almost 100 pounds heavier. I Turned pro with my drinking in the 80s and retired in the early 2000s. I have done a lot of the wrong things, but I come out of this hip and knee and I said, you know what? My wife runs ultramarathons. That's why we live outside of Leadville. She The Leadville 100 and the big race series up here. I start figuring out, I want to do an ultramarathon. I'd never even done a marathon, but with prosthetics, but it's possible. I was able to do a couple of, not huge ones, but 50Ks and you walk them and I didn't break any speed records. I think that overall, so many of us, we achieve what we tolerate and we don't think bigger. And if we can think bigger, anything is possible. That's how I help companies go from entrepreneurial to billion dollar market caps, man. It's because if people think they can and you got smart people in a great market, anything's freaking possible.
0: Wow, we've gone in a number of places so far and I've got a great number of sound clips. I feel like my bucket is full just being around you and hearing some of this wisdom. I know personally that there are a couple of friends who have struggled with infertility. You mentioned that as a challenge earlier. I'm wondering if you could take us back to that challenge, Chris, and how did you make it through that? How did you and your wife find out and then make it through that challenging time?
1: The short answer is not well, but we did make through it. There were the challenges that my wife and I faced physically, and we went down the road of trying a few things and it didn't work. But it was really interesting for me, and I believe I'm not a deep person of religion, but I'm a deep person of of faith and things that I don't understand. And I think that the universe has intentions for us if we choose to listen. Us, I always desperately wanted to be a father. It just didn't work out. But I remember, it was pretty emotional. It was late night in the midst of a, drinking too much bourbon. And I'm on a website for kids that can be adopted. And I'm going through and I'm looking. And this one has fetal alcohol syndrome from the hero. This one has spina bifida. Or this one has a cleft palate. And I'm going through these things. I remember my blood went cold when I realized that this was the same format that eBay was, but it was for children. And it really hit me as, who the f- am I doing this for? If I had a noble bone in my body and the patients, adopting some kid who's 14 in the foster system that has a 90% likelihood of going into the prison system is where I should invest my, my energy, but I didn't have that. It really made me wonder my motivations behind why I was looking to do that and where to invest that energy. And then as luck would have it an adoption came up, Rika was helping somebody through some volunteer work and we did everything we could with that, but that just turned into a horrific mess Mm. and we didn't end up getting the baby. So there were multiple points on, for whatever reason, I believe that the world, the universe had different intentions for us. And that's why I've been some of the motivations for writing the book, coming up with different ways to help people dream, different tools. I, I have a process where I teach people, I call it a life-changing goal, but to steal from Collins, pers- it's like a personal BHAG or big, hairy, audacious goal. And mine is to introduce a million people to a new way of thinking, impacting countless lives. Matt, I genuinely, humbly thank you
0: for letting me have the opportunity today. It's a sincere pleasure, my friend, I, just to hear you speak. I'm now part of your mission and part of that number because I already am feeling a shift being around you and and hearing you speak from the heart. So thank you. And I'd love to explore more about your mission and your purpose and help spread that. So please tell us a little bit more about your mission to introduce a million people to New Way of Thinking.
1: So it's been my experience with doing the strategic advisory work and the coaching that every individual organization, leadership team, and even couple goes through one of four phases. It's stabilize, visualize, strategize, and execute. If I talk to somebody about visualization or strategy, but they're running around with their hair on fire, it's going to go in one ear and out the other. I've created a program and courses and the book to help people go through that. And to be very candid, I charge a lot of money to the one percenters of the world to help them redefine what success looks like for them because the number of people who have had massive exits And are completely lost is extraordinary. But on the flip side, I want to give it away to three specific groups. One, our military brothers and sisters transitioning back into the world. Two, people who are transitioning out of incarceration, and three, people coming out of the foster systems. It's my humble opinion, and I haven't been in these spaces, so this is just an opinion, but it's not necessarily more money, but it's a shift in thinking, And a a transition in believing that what is possible that they can do anything. And in those cases, I was talking with a a big group yesterday to, to actually give that away and give access away to people so that it can help. Now, part of that is done if I'm truly candid in a selfish purpose, because it fills a hole. It fills an emptiness in me. It gives me the potential for legacy. So validity for being here, things like that. But I would be in hopes that the, the genuine intention of helping first is very real, first and
0: foremost. I'm drinking the Kool Aid here. This is fantastic because I also have some thoughts, and maybe for in me, I feel this. Maybe it's a selfishness, and I also feel that if I have the ability to impact more, if I have the financial resources that could have that can offer me the ability to impact more, and I think that's part of the reason for the show, is that we've gotten to a certain level of scale and business for now want to give something back. And what you want to give back is you like to give back this way of thinking or opportunity for our military brothers and sisters, those who are coming out of incarceration, those who uh, have been challenged in the foster care system. That's absolutely amazing. I wonder, how can we help you get that word out? How are you delivering? What's the mechanism to deliver this mindset to the set of groups of people? Chris?
1: The most part, I've been working with organizations and leadership okay. teams. Here's the thing that is amazing to me. When I'm working with a senior leader, a lot of times I'll ask, how are you sleeping? What's your home like? And getting people to realize that you're the primary asset of the organization, you're the primary asset of your family, you're the primary asset of your business, whatever it may be, and you have to protect that asset. And the better you are, the stronger you are as an individual the better decisions, it will become your competitive advantage in multiple ways in different areas. Now, it doesn't mean that sometimes you don't have to suck it up and do 80, 90 hour weeks. We all do that are entrepreneurs. But the reason I say this is if I can help shift an organization to start thinking that way, positive impact they can have is astronomical. I've helped restructure multi-billion dollar family offices and foundations and things like that. So helping even shift that thinking, but helping people A, to give them permission to think differently, and B, to think of themselves as that asset, not in a holistically selfish way, but in a somewhat selfish way. And when people can look at that in a little different, then it has a bigger impact. Because I will be candid, I think that's probably my more direct line for impact right now, because trying to give something away to the military, trying to give something away to the penal system, and trying to give something away to, the incarcer- to people in Foster system is a nightmare. The amount of bureaucratic BS that's associated with it. I'm not charging you anything. I want nothing in return. This is a one-way open conduit. People are like, no, we need you to go through these hoops. You need to do this. You need to apply here. You need to get to. Know. It's no wonder that it's some of those things have such levels of incompetence. And that again, that's my opinion. That's been my exposure. I'm sure the right people know how to break through those, or they can do in the end run. Or maybe they already have a nonprofit that's adjacent. Great. I'll stand on anybody else's shoulders. I'll step way back and let them take point. If they want to use the tools, I'll help them with it.
0: If there's someone listening who's a leader of an organization and they feel touched by some inspiration, they want to help people too. And maybe even the alignment is to serve people in the same vein as you. Can you describe to me who that leader is or the avatar of the type of leader that you might work with right now? Would love to love to put the call out, if we may.
1: For doing the outreach and for life in your terms, that's the program that I've created. For that stuff, specifically, if there's anybody out there, for profit, nonprofit, that is working with any of those three groups that wants to genuinely has a has it in their heart they want to help people and, and they want to help change and change the dialogue and help people change that perspective, they're more than welcome. They can reach out at my direct email is letter K at and then the first three letters of entrepreneur and the first three letters of advisor entadv.com happy to talk to them for the businesses i'm very selective with who i work with I'm very fortunate with who i've been able to work with but they have to have three things the business leader first and foremost has to have a self-awareness and realize that they want to get better and that they're stuck Second, they have to be in some form of an industry that has the potential to be disruptive. It can be a legacy industry, but they have to be willing to look at it in a different way. And then, third, they have to be audacious as hell. They have to want to change the world in whatever it is. So, I worked with one of the companies. They were the number one pharmaceutical testing company for the different COVID vaccines, and what they were able to do in a very short period of time was just amazing.
0: Fantastic. You hit on something that made me smile. They first, the leader has to have the self-awareness they want to get better. And that makes me pause to see self-awareness. That That's an interesting door. Some people may feel they have it and they might not. I wonder what type of tool you might use to help them realize if they don't have it. And you welcome them into your program or welcome them into the process of getting to know you.
1: I charge a boatload of money to work with me. That actually is part of it. Value price is, a, is an indicator of value one way or another. Mm-hmm. The second though is I never have any contracts or agreements lest they need it for a corporate. I worked with a big publicly traded aerospace company yesterday. If they need it, then I will. But if not, I only want to work with them provided they're getting value. But it means that I can fire them just as easily as they can fire me. And then third is I feel I have to go every session, every interaction, 100% prepared to get fired. And I tell them this, meaning if I'm not willing to call you out, if I'm not willing to step on your toes in a compassionate way, but a very direct and candid way, then you shouldn't hire me. And to specifically answer your question, if somebody's in a position that I think they're being resistant or they're not being self-aware, because I'll have people who would pay me the boatload of money just to talk once a week or twice a week, but it's not doing anything. It's a waste of everybody's time. It's not any fun either. But if I have a leader that's there, I literally have gotten leaders because I said, dude, I love you, but from my perspective, you're being an effing idiot. You call a CEO of a public company an effing idiot. They're like, who the... uh, and at that moment, they're either going to trust that I genuinely have their best interests in mind and I'm calling them out and I'm showing them with compassion why that's the case. Or they get really upset and they want somebody who's going to be a yes man and we just saved each other a whole bunch of time. Picking a fight in a compassionate way but being very direct is exceptionally valuable when trying to cut through the
0: BS on that stuff. You just hit it. The major vain as to why you are so good at what you do is you're able to have that very direct conversation and do it with empathy or love or compassion. And the number of coaches and consultants, most of the people that might say they're a coach who are not able to do that and become yes people is staggering. So it's, I'm glad to meet someone who can have that conversation. And you just showed us how. I appreciate this about you, Chris. Can you take us to a story where you did make the call out and they had the deer and headlights look and then they agreed and they kept going. You don't have to share names. I'm just curious if you have a story to illustrate for our listeners how that might play out.
1: I think actually that phrase right there has probably got me more work than anything. And I would encourage any you and anybody else to R&D rip off and duplicate it provided you're going to live it. But to live it means you have to have that humble confidence, that swagger but with compassion and to know that it's there. But no, there's dozens of stories. It's always fun because you can see if you're working with a whole leadership team, like you're working with the C-suite and you have either a domineering or a conflict avoidant, or somebody who needs to be the smartest person in the room as a senior leader. And when you have everybody in the room and you're doing that interview, and I make it very clear that I'm interviewing them as much as they're interviewing me. And then you say, Just compassionate, like, hey, look, I'm going to challenge you, all right? Give them permission so you don't ambush them. Say, okay, remember, this is my job, is to come at 100% open and candid. And then primarily I statements. From my perspective, I'm seeing this and this. But right now, I think you're being an idiot. You're getting in your own way. This person over here is scared to death of you. This person is bored. And you call that out. And when you do that, you can tell the health of the team even. The whole leadership team, a lot of times, will immediately look at their shoes They'll sort of look up and there'll be the quick eye movement back and forth between and they'll watch. You'll see the person process it and be like, son of a bitch. Might be a prospect. That might be right. And I will be candid. I have never been fired for doing it ever. But the other piece is that it really, when you don't have contracts, When you choose to embrace that type of relationship, you're much more selective on who you choose, but you have very much that you have to have an abundance mindset when you do that. If you're a coach building on a scarcity mindset and you don't have that, you're going to take people because it pays the bills. And once you have to shift that mindset.
0: I love talking with you and I do not have unblemished record in this regard of being very candid. The first time I was ever really candid, this is back, I've been in coaching for 10 years, back when uh, I had someone who was a client, they've got multiple homes in the Hamptons, they're like wealthy. And I thought, this is my ticket. I've got this rich client. I'm helping them scale their company. I felt this This was great. This is a new coach at 37, done some work. So it was a coach, and I said something very similar to this person. And he straight up, said to me, you're fired right there on the spot and then yelled and gave a big tirade and then fired people on his team too that brought me into the company and I'm not able to say the name. It was a life-changing event for me and now to meet someone who I totally aspire and look up to the way that you just described everything, Chris, this is a real treat. And know that I do not have an unblemished record and you're like, you're in the Hall of Fame here of being candid and real. This is excellent.
1: Can I give you a quick piece of coaching? Please do. Okay, so remember we have outcome bias and decision bias. Are you familiar with the difference?
0: Certainly. Yes. Please.
1: So often so for most people, if I ask, hey, what was your best decision you made during COVID? People are likely to tell me the best outcomes, not the best decisions. In that particular case, for you, it was the right decision. Who knows? Maybe you could have executed it differently, maybe you could have, probably not. Guy sounds like a narcissist. And you were walking into a bus no matter what. But Understanding that's the right decision, don't let that tarnish how you choose to engage going forward. Because you did the right decision, but the outcome was a buzzsaw. I did have one guy, he did fire me and then he rehired me. But I'll I'll pause. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you. That decision, the, the way that he made to fire me right there in front of everyone, that did impact the way that I perceived and coach people moving forward, I say that it caused me to put a number of more detailed, specific frames in the front end of every prospecting conversation. This is what we will not tolerate. This is the way we're going to talk to each other or not. Will you agree? Will you agree and get permission first? I remember that taught me some way to frame conversations in the beginning so I could sniff out the person that was low empathy and kind of narcissist because I I shy away from that person nowadays. Yeah, it was very informing to be able to see that whether I made a good decision or based on this outcome, or it was the outcome that informs future decisions. It was really a great learning experience as someone who's always trying to learn.
1: But if you had done that and it was received, the decision remains the same. The outcome was different. Would you have done things different after the fact? And that's where having that awareness of because of, do you have an outcome bias from that? And therefore, you had to put in a bunch of precursors and how to frame things versus it was right decision. So sometimes luck, sometimes something just bites us in the ass. And that's where it comes down to. I did have a client, as soon as you said, it was in Nantucket. Guy was a unicorn, built his company, sold it for and he had never had anybody call him out. And I called him out. And he was literally frothing at the mouth, cussing a blue streak, just mean and nasty and getting all in my stuff. But I'd gotten referred by somebody who I really valued. And I'm like, look, I don't want to fire this guy. I don't want to call him out. I'm just going to. And I let him go through that. What it ended up being, though, it was his way of processing. And he ended up needing to go through the whole thing. And I needed to stay cool. Just like with a small child having a tantrum, he had to have that ability and I had to not take the bait. So that for me, it it ended up, because I figured we weren't going to work together. I thought it was going to be a blemish, like you said, but it ended up working in a positive way. And we're actually pretty good friends now. It's thinking about those things. And part of it too, is when we let our head trash, we let our our imposter syndrome and everybody has that. Because the first time you say it, and I think this is one of the really key things with this, is the intention that you tee it up. If you're looking into somebody's soul, and you're 100% present, and you're saying that with compassion and with the best of intention in mind, people genuinely, if you ask permission, say, look, I'm going to give you some feedback, and I don't think you want to hear it, but I'm going to be candid. Is that cool? And you're genuine with it. Most people will soak that up. And right now, like with the mastermind groups, that I, I do some mastermind groups with ultra high net worth and private equity guys, and people are craving connection and they're craving an environment where they could be loved and open and candid and challenged. Because I think COVID actually amplified a lot of negativity. I I threw a whole bunch out there, but any thoughts?
0: Oh, so many different things. And not the least of which is the COVID amplifying everything. I would even go back to Yes, the decision that that person made in firing me caused me to have a bias towards the outcome. It caused me to put some frames and evolve the way that I present things to people. Had that not happened, I feel I eventually would have learned the same lesson in a different frame because I'm set to always be learning and sharpening. And... What I frame as a blemish on the record, I say that with a little bit of a smile and a grain of salt because many times these big blemishes are the things that end up being the greatest teachers. So as an eternal optimist, it was an amazing experience. I credit a lot of where we are today with that experience. I think that can be said about a lot of the things. Where this conversation really when I took us back to infertility and then you shared that story, that's led us to right here. That greatest challenge for you led to a person, a purpose and a passion that you're sharing with the world and helping millions of lives. So I think these blemishes, they can really be the things that may bias us and it may be the things that we need to lead to the outcome that is our true purpose. Where my
1: head goes is I think of uh, when people ask, how do you know if somebody's a real entrepreneur? And it's pretty easy is when you ask an entrepreneur, if you ask a regular business person, particularly somebody in like a Fortune 500, tell me about a time you failed. They will mumble and talk all around it and make it everybody else's excuses. You ask a genuine entrepreneur, hey, dude, tell me about a time you failed. Oh my God. They'll get all animated. Like, holy crap. I did this, this time. It was a total shit show. I shouldn't have done this. I did. Oh my God. I got killed. I got, and they'll go through, but it's because we're celebrating those failures the failures aren't the definition of who we are. It's how we deal with our failures is the definition of who we are. And that's where we can constantly be learning by those blemishes and those failures.
0: You're on a mountain. You're at 14,000 feet right now. If you walk outside into your yard, let's just say that there's a fire pit there and you get to pick any three people to sit there other than your family. Cause we all love our family. We want to be around them. Maybe three people that you could sit with that you might learn from. They could be living. They can be from the past. Who might you want to have a conversation with and share at a fire, Chris? All right. I'm at 10,000 feet, but the three people jump right to my head are
1: Elon Musk, because his ability to vision is better than anybody I've ever seen. Benjamin Franklin, because his ability to vision and execute was amazing. And Sir Ernest Shackleton, because he never, ever failed or gave up, even though it is the greatest story of failure ever. Do you know Shackleton? Oh
0: yeah! Oh, yeah! Endurance. Yes, this is man. That's such a cool answer you just gave right there. I'm getting fired up just thinking about those three sitting next to you. What is everyone at that uh, fire drinking? If you could imagine that, Franklin would be either a big
1: pint of glog or a bourbon or something. <laughs> he'd be drinking for sure. I don't know about Musk, and I can only guess that Shackleton would. He'd be having a pint as well, but who knows?
0: Yeah. I was listening to Moscow Rogan from this week. I think it was Halloween. It was a couple of days ago he was on and he got one of, Rogan brought out one of those 90 pound compression bows and shot it against the side of the new cyber truck and it didn't make a dent. And then they started talking about Elon is going to have this uh, this battle with Mark Zuckerberg. They're going to like literally get in a cage or somewhere. Elon said, anytime, any place, you name it, I'll fight him anywhere. Any style, with any weapon. It was such a cool conversation. Super cool answer. Never asked anyone that before. I find you so fascinating and just such a wealth of knowledge that well, I'm geez. curious how how you might find the creative uh, juices in that conversation with these people. That's interesting. Where can we go, Chris, to find out more about you, to to get your books, to connect with you on social? Just where are the places that you can find you?
1: You're welcome to go to the Entrepreneurial Advisors, com. That's the home mm-hmm. website for that stuff. The first book I wrote was called The Aspiring Solopreneur. That one is Amazon. That one did pretty well. The next one, Life on Your Terms, talks about tools. And you can go to lifeon-yourterms.com and keep your eyes open for uh, Pure Circles. It's a URL I've owned a long time, but I'm starting to build out more. And it's going to be for mastermind as a service and then private invite only for ultra-exclusive, ultra-high net worth and family office folks. Mm.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, by the way. Oh, it's a real pleasure. You're already on a mountain, but I want to put you on a mountaintop and just shout your message because it's just so refreshing to learn from someone and and be around someone with such an uplifting, even keel energy, just the sage wisdom who can tell you, you know what? You're an an idiot and do it with compassion and love. That's a definite skill and uh, kudos to you, my friend. We are now near the end of our recording and we are going to enter the lightning round of questions where I will throw a few questions out here to see what comes out of Mr. Chris Kluver. So ding, ding, here we go. The first question, Chris, if you could name other than your own books, what might be one to three books that you'd recommend that have had an impact in your life?
1: All right. Top of my head. I just finished rereading for like the 10th time. um, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Teen. I got to spend the day with him. I love Patrick Lencioni. Um, the one thing that talks about time blocking and focus, and because we're on the eternal optimist, the rational optimist, the quote from that is a paraphrase, human beings are the only animals with the ability to look at the past with nothing but fondness and the future with nothing but trepidation, even though there is zero data to show anything but the opposite.
0: Thank you. Great answer. Is there a song or a musician or a genre of music that really fills your bucket and gives you, gives you a smile? <laughs>
1: Old school rockabilly actually for me, if I can. I don't do a lot of music. I usually just, I've got a pretty decent memory but I don't read very well. So I I consume a lot of books on tape and I spend a lot of time in the woods backpacking and or not back just hiking and skiing and stuff. That's where I recharge my batteries.
0: Mostly books is what I consume. Okay, great. And last question, the name of the show is the Eternal Optimist podcast. Uh, When I say eternal optimist,
1: what does that mean to you? We have this basics where people are like, hey, how you doing? And even if the worst thing just happened, everybody says, okay. I always say I feel like I'm the luckiest cat on the planet. And I genuinely in my heart mean that. But I believe we are all the luckiest cats on the planet. I think the universe wants to give us everything we want. We just have to figure out that process of figuring out what it is and being open to achieve it. But I truly believe the most beautiful, wonderful things, even though our world is a unadulterated show right now. I think the best is